So this is Reverend John Faraday, and welcome to Lesson 41 in the series, The Gospel According to Moses and the Book of Exodus. We left off in Exodus chapter 15. We left off at verse 18. So let's go back to Exodus 15, and let's pick up starting in verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. If you recall, in Lesson 40, we dealt with the issue, did Pharaoh die in the sea with his troops? The answer is no. Couldn't be. It's impossible with real history, real archaeology, and so on. Let's continue on. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has highly exalted the horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation. There he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Now you already know that we use some of the facts here about the fact that they traveled three days from the shore to a place called Mara. And probably at least another day to get to Elim. At least a day. It could have been a week. We don't know. But we use that to establish some important geographical facts that we actually used in Exodus 39, part 1. Very key because these facts help us with regards to real geography, real facts, to possibly help us in the search for Mount Sinai. Now we come to verse 20, and in verse 20, it's an amazing statement because we have Miriam is now called a prophetess. <laughs> this, is, this is just amazing in that day. It's not in our day, but it's in that day. That's 3,400 years ago, you guys. And in that day, you did not treat women with such high regard. Going to Dennis Prager, and again, I highly recommend his series called The Rational Bible. The book of Genesis and Exodus are out right now. I believe Deuteronomy is coming out here in the year 2022 sometime. But at any rate, Dennis Prager talks about this idea and again, this man is a brilliant scholar. He's a devout, devoted 
Jewish believer in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the same God we believe in, except he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And Dennis Prager is commenting on verse 20. And he said, yeah, Moses' sister is described as a prophetess? This is among the highest accolades a person can receive in the Hebrew Bible. A prophet or a prophetess is a spokesman of God. Now remember, in ancient days, women had a low position. All of this is against the grain of those days. Miriam is the only woman designated as such as a prophetess in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Now, in the rest of the Tanakh, in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, you have Deborah is a prophet, prophetess, Huldah, and Noadiah. So indeed, there are other prophetesses, but here in the Torah, which we're focusing on, we come to Miriam. And Yahweh elevates women. Woman. This is not the norm in those days. And here's God is saying, men and women are the same in his eyes. They're the same in his awesome plan. Just so cool. That she would be held up to such a lofty position. This is even higher than a rabbi in Judaism today. This is higher than a rabbi. So this is quite amazing, again, how God holds, holds up women. He did this. He did this earlier in Genesis. The angel of the Lord appears not to Abraham. The angel of the Lord doesn't appear to Sarah. The angel of the Lord appears to a pagan Egyptian girl who was the, the maidservant of Sarah, Hagar after Sarah kicked her out. The angel of the Lord, the manifestation of God himself, comes to a pagan girl. It reminds me of Jesus. Jesus comes to a Samaritan village and declares to a Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah. He declares it, and she wasn't even a Jew. This, this is quite amazing. So indeed, when we take a look at the Bible, we have to understand that God is going against the grain of the ancient culture. God is holding up women at the same level as men. What we would expect out of God, because we're both made in his image. Now in Exodus 15, verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Now again, in, in, in podcast 39, part 1, we dealt with the question, does the Bible contain facts that help us in real archaeology? And the answer is yes. And yes again. And in lesson 39, in podcast 39, part 1, we looked at Bible facts that were related to geography, facts that were related to distances and maps and travel times. Documented. Documented. 
And from this, it's clear with these Bible facts that indeed that there are some who hold that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. These are non-scholars. None of them have training in archaeology or in the disciplines of archaeology that go along with what's needed to say that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. For one thing, their view, their opinion, contradicts this geographical Bible facts. So we come now to the geographical place of the wilderness of Shur. Where is it? The Bible again provides the facts. When we go to Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, we find out that Abraham settles in Gerar, near Wadi Gerar. I walked Wadi Gerar. It's near Beersheba. It's in, you might say, the western part of southern Israel. Not far from the Gaza Strip, not far from Beersheba. Abraham settled in Gerar between Kadesh and Shur. He is living not in the wilderness of Shur, but he is close to it. And Gerar is just, like I said, a few miles from the Gaza Strip and not far from Beersheba. Shur is close by. Ishmael, we find out in Genesis 25, verse 18, lived in Shur, east of Egypt, as one goes to Assyria. When we read these facts, this implies we know there's a trade route. There's a trade route that goes from Egypt along the Mediterranean Sea into Gaza, straight north through Israel into Lebanon. It's called the Via Maris. It's the way of the sea that goes to Assyria. This is exactly what it's talking about in Genesis 25, verse 18. Ishmael lived in Shur as one goes to Assyria from Egypt. Go to verse Samuel 15, 7. Saul defeats the Amalekites near Shur. And in 1 Samuel 27, verse 8, David, he is raiding the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, Gersh- the and the, uh, the Gerzites and the Amalekites, and they all dwelt in Shur. But David's hometown, Ziklag, which was given to him by the king of Gath, is near Gaza, not far from Beersheba. And Shur is where the Amalekites are, the Geshurites and the Gerzites. And this has got to be there in what you might say the northern Sinai. So these verses imply the wilderness of Shur is someplace between Gaza and Egypt in the far northern part of the Sinai Peninsula. I go to the InterVarsity Press Bible background commentary of the Old Testament, which is a source for putting the Bible in its historical context. Quoting them on this idea of the wilderness of Shur, they state, the wilderness of Shur is located in the northwest region of the Sinai Peninsula. An east-west route runs through the region that connects Egypt to the King's Highway in Transjordan at Basra. Or there's another route, which is the Via Maris, that goes into Israel through Beersheba. But the Israelites did not take this route. Shur means wall. Now listen to this. 
Shur means wall in Hebrew. So it is possible that the term refers to the well-known Egyptian wall of fortresses in the region. This is supported by Numbers 33, verse 8, where it is called the wilderness of Etham. Etham means fort, the wilderness of the forts. The wilderness of Shur, which is the wilderness of the wall. The wilderness of Etham, which is forts. Now these were built a few centuries earlier to protect the northeastern frontiers of Egypt. The series of garrisons was known as the Wall of the Ruler. And all of a sudden we have Shur, means wall, and Etham, which is another name for the wilderness of Shur, means fort. <laughs> you guys, the, the evidence in the Bible over and over and over again shows us that the wilderness of Shur is in that area, the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula, someplace between Egypt and Gaza. So, if Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, and the Israelites had crossed the sea at the Gulf of Aqaba, which is on the east side of the Sinai Peninsula, that means sure would have to be in modern Saudi Arabia on the western shore. This can't be. All of the events in Abraham's life, Ishmael's life, Saul's life, and David's life, all those happen in southern Israel in the region of Beersheba. Now, I'm not trying to say close to Beersheba, but in that region. All of these events would have to be occurred in the wrong place if Shur was on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba in Saudi Arabia. Once again, the Bible gives us real facts and real geography. It shows that the theory, and it is a theory, that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia has some real issues to contend with and real issues to answer. Then we come to verse 26 in the Song by the Sea, or after the Song by the Sea. And we read this. And he said, I will give you earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So we remember that the Lord, Adonai, which are cover words for the actual name of God, yud Hey vav Hey, the Tetragrammaton, that I pronounce Yahweh, others may pronounce it differently. So indeed, that Adonai and the word Lord is used because the Jewish scholars will not pronounce the name of God. They will always use another word, like Lord, and that's where that comes in. So anytime you see the word Lord, in the Old Testament, capitalized, it means it's covering the real name of God, yod Hey vav Hey Yahweh. And that's the name that God gave to Moses, how we're going to know him. God also says, and this is going to be back in, uh, uh, I believe, Exodus chapter 3 or 4, where God says, Now, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was known as El Shaddai. 
the God Almighty. That was the name that they remembered him by. But now, here, God is saying, but my real name is Yahweh. Now, it's almost as if as God is giving us another name for himself. Our healer. We read that there in verse 26. I am the Lord. I am your healer. And so we read the Hebrew, Ki ani Yahweh Rafecha. I am the Lord, your healer. And again, Lord there is, I put in Yahweh, but you'll see the word Lord in caps. So that's the cover for God's real name. So it doesn't say, I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord, your healer. God our healer, Yahweh Rapha. Not Jehovah Rapha. You may have heard Jehovah Rapha. That's a made-up name. It was a mistake by a monk in the early Catholic Church when he was translating from the Hebrew to the Greek into Latin. And he put a J in front of it. It's just, it's Jehovah. There is no word Jehovah when we actually take a look at the etymology of that world. word. But does God say that he will heal all our diseases if we're real children of God? Does he say that he is going to heal us of our injuries, our colds, the flu, COVID, cancer, diabetes? Dennis Prager, again, in his Rational Bible on Exodus, has some awesome thoughts on this. He goes on to say, and again, we're related to verse 26 here in Exodus 15. And Dennis Prager says, There are many religious people who believe if they act or believe in accordance with God's will, God should and will protect them from calamities such as bad health and early death. At a speech in an Orthodox Jewish synagogue in London, I was asked how I explain that observant Jews... Jews who strictly observe the laws of Shabbat and Kashrut, for example, get struck with cancel, cancer or a heart attack or, or at an early age. I was taken aback by the question, as I never associated keeping God's commandments with protection from Ill illness. So I asked those present to raise their hands if they believe God protected the observant from disease. About half the audience raised their hands. Likewise, there are Christians who believe that with enough faith, one will not get seriously ill. I recently was attending a Sunday church, met a man there who was in a wheelchair, and we were talking. And in our time of uh, sharing back and forth, he says he's waiting for God's healing. Because he said, I prayed, and God's going to heal me. He said, the Lord must heal me, according to Isaiah 53, verse 5. By his stripes, we are healed. Now, by the way, I just want you to note that Isaiah 53, verse 5 does not say from disease. It does not say healing from sickness. 
we need to take a look at context. Because if we put this part of this verse back in its context, it may give us an idea what the Lord is inspiring Isaiah to write about. So in context, back in Isaiah 53, we're wounded. He was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we are healed. It would imply, in context, that we can't take the verse out of context. We have to leave it in context. If we leave it in context, we would say, by his stripes, we are healed of that which is related to sin in our lives. We are healed by God's chesed, by his grace. We are healed of that corruption that's in our nature, our sin nature. The only way it's mended is by God's grace through the blood of Jesus. That makes more sense when I read Isaiah 53, verse 5. There are other scholars who agree. It does not mention diseases. By stripes you are healed, and it's all related in context to sin. Continuing back with what Dennis says, he said, like I said, likewise there are many Christians who believe that with enough faith one will not get seriously ill. But there's many problems with this belief for Jew and Gentile alike. Now, before I do that, I refer to you Matthew 5, verse 45. Jesus is teaching, and he said, Remember, the sun shines on the evil and the good, and the rain falls on the evil and the good. In other words, all human beings, all of us, are trapped into this fallen world. And one of the things that we're trapped in is disease, decay, and death. It's a key thing to remember. Now, Dennis said, there's many problems with the belief that because if we follow God's law or if we're a, a good enough Christian that he will heal us, and he's, he has to. One of them, it can't be true. It, it can't be true. There are many pious people that have been afflicted with disease and many non-religious and evil people that have lived long and healthy lives. It just doesn't make sense. Second of all, if God really did protect religious people from an illness, why would any rational person not be religious? Can you imagine if this was a fact? This would make the news. This would be all over. The CDC would say that th this is our advice. Become religious and you will be healed of cancer. You will be healed of COVID. Everybody would rush to the nearest church. But they don't. Because it doesn't happen. Third, many people, and I know this for a fact, I have dealt with this with Christian people that I have known both in Messianic congregations and in Sunday congregations. Those who hold to this fact, they have a very unsy unsympathetic, not all of them, but I've seen unsympathetic and judgmental responses to people who get sick. If only they were more observant or if only they had a deeper faith, they wouldn't have gotten cancer or that heart attack or COVID. 
The victim of cancer or heart attack is then doubly victimized. And I think about Steve McQueen. He was one of my heroes as a boy growing up. Josh Randall in his TV program, The Bounty Hunter. And then the movies that he made, The Great Escape, and all the things that he was very famous for. And he was a ladies' man. I mean, he was no... He was a very immoral character. But he became a Christian, and after he became a Christian, he got cancer. He got cancer, and it was the cancer that was going to lead to death. Went all over the world trying to search for a cure. He was a Christian, though, and he died. And people asked him, Don't you, aren't you mad at God because he didn't heal you? And he said, no. He said, I want people to recognize that God is with me in death. And indeed, there are many people who die who are not believers, and they die alone. There's a great application of this in Psalm 18, verse 33. And in Psalm 18, verse 33, we read, He makes my feet like hinds feet, and sets me up upon high places. It's not high fate, it's not hinds feet or deer, depending on which translation you're using. The Hebrew word there is ayala. And ayala means an ebex, which is like a mountain antelope. Now, if you take Psalm 18 in context, Psalm 18 is about when David is delivered from Saul and his persecution and his threat to kill him. This danger, this threat, this persecution of Saul was a high place for David. A high place like where an ebex lives, in the high places in the wilderness of the Negev. Living on these dangerous cliffs like it was nothing at all. David did not ask God to have feet like an ebex, but God did it. God helped David to persevere and endure the death threat, the persecution, to live through it. Like an ebex living in the high and dangerous places with no fear. Now I'm giving you links to two videos related to this they're they're awesome one of them talks about or actually shows the ebex or ebexes that actually walk on almost a vertical sides of a dam i think someplace in france it is just amazing to feed you won't believe your eyes when you see this video I've done a video that's also related to the Ebex. And part of the video is where I'm actually filming in a place called Wadi Avdat, a deep, deep canyon where the Ebexes are on the high cliffs, walking around without a care in the world. So they're at the website, www.lightamenorah.org. So look for the picture here for Lesson 41. And under there, you'll find the links to those videos.
So too for us. Steve McQueen, he was given feet like an Ebex to be a witness in his death. He was in the high place of cancer. And he was a witness to unbelievers. That the, that the He wanted to let the world know that God is with us. Remember Psalm 23? And even if I walk through the shadow of death, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's our truth. That's our promise. Whether you're in a wheelchair and you have a disability and you said, I know God is my healer, I, I pray that he would heal me, but if not, if not, I know God will give me what I need to live through this, to endure it, to be a witness that God is with me. Think about the martyrs. In 10 Roman persecutions, huge persecutions, they weren't rescued. Do you think they didn't pray? How come, if that's the truth, how come they weren't rescued? Oh, God, heal me and rescue me from this martyrdom. I don't want to be tortured. Didn't happen. We don't hold a candle to them, you guys. And some of us expect God to just heal us because we just ask? Those martyrs were killed and butchered. They were tortured horribly. Horribly. Many received a spiritual strength in their dying, in their torture, as they suffered. They became strong witnesses that the Lord was with them. Even in the midst of that horror given feet like an ebex, so they're able to endure the high place of that horrible death. So, we too are to rejoice. We too are to praise our Father, Elohei Israel Vegoi, God of the Jews and God of the Gentiles. So we, Two are to rejoice and praise. Praise our Father, Elohei Israel ve Goim, God of the Jews and God of the Gentiles. He's said in Psalm 23, He's with us, even in the deep, dark canyons of death itself. He's with us in the high places. Non-believers do not have such hope. We do. Non-believers live in a high place. means they're all alone. It's by their choice. But for us, when we're in the high place, we're not alone. So whether we live through the high place or whether we die in the high place, we're witnesses even unto death to the unbelieving world. And he will give us a feat like an ebex to live through the high place, to endure the high place, to persevere. But even if we die, our life screams out the truth. The truth that we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5. 
that for us, the people of God, that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. See you in the next lesson. Shalom.